0: It was just after 2 a.m. on November 20th, 1969, when three boats cast off into the icy waters north of San Francisco. Their destination? The abandoned federal prison on Alcatraz Island. The boats were packed with Native American activists intent on seizing control of Alcatraz. Why? To send a message. Here's Geneva Seaboy. She was there that night.
1: I think it was um, basically saying, hey, these are the issues we are faced with. We aren't being treated equally. It was the beginning of movements to acquire
0: things that were taken away. On Geneva's boat was one of the organizers of the protests, a 27-year-old iron worker by the name of Richard Oakes.
1: He was a very charismatic person. Uh, very intelligent, articulate. He had a type of way about him. You know, when he wanted to relay a message, he could get it across and people would listen.
0: On his starboard side, Richard could see the Golden Gate Bridge glowing red against the dark sky. Up ahead, helicopters circled the rocky island. Witnesses would later report that the prison was lit up like a Christmas tree.
1: The Coast Guard was alerted by then. Here they come, you know, circling
0: the island and shining their spotlights. To Richard's surprise, the government security forces hung back, allowing the boats to land safely. The activists gathered in the desolate former residence of the prison warden. Someone started to play a drum. The occupation of Alcatraz had begun.
2: We, uh, the Native Americans, reclaim this land known as Alcatraz Island in the name of all American Indians by right of discovery. We will purchase said Alcatraz Island for $24 in glass beads and red cloth, a precedent set by the white man's purchase of a similar island about 300 years ago.
0: Alcatraz is a tiny, barren rock. The prison was crumbling and abandoned, so why would Richard, Geneva, and the others risk their lives to take it? Freedom.
1: I think that's what it was, it was freedom. Because when we were out
0: on the island, we felt free. We've spent the last seven episodes telling you the history of CalExit, how Marcus and Lewis took their long shot idea into the mainstream, and how it all came crashing down. Today, CalExit is trying to rebuild. But as you'll hear, new developments in the Russian scandal and a rupture in the friendship between Marcus Ruiz Evans and Louis Marinelli continue to threaten the movement's potential. In this, our season finale, we examine the future of CalExit, and we'll ask one final question. Could CalExit really set Californians free? As it turns out, the answer depends a lot on what you mean by free. From Interval Presents and Awfully Nice, this is The Last Resort. I'm Chute Scott. Episode eight, Alcatraz.
3: We're gonna go file paperwork. We we can't have everybody in. We'll be back in just a minute. All right.
0: In the years after the Russia scandal, Marcus and Lewis made multiple attempts to recapture the momentum. On Valentine's Day, 2018. They filed for a second CalExit ballot initiative.
4: Well, California is filing for a divorce from the United States with these documents. So we're going to have a vote May Fourth, 2021. May Fourth is also Star Wars Day,
0: and so may the force be with us. Uh, the initiative was later abandoned. In 2021, Lewis announced plans to run for governor of California while still living in Russia. Here's Connie, Marcus's mom.
5: Lewis is out of the country, and yet Lewis thinks he's going to run for governor of California. Ludicrous. So Lewis then is trying to really get Marcus to help manage a lot of what Lewis needed to get done on the front line.
0: He ended his campaign after backlash. All along the way, despite the controversy, Marcus stayed loyal to his friend. I love him, but he's a rascal.
3: I do not regret my friendship with Luis Marinelli. I love Louis Marinelli. I respect Luis's brain when it comes to marketing. I believe in second chances. So I'm not religious, but I grew up Mexican Catholic. And the idea of forgiveness and people can turn another leaf was beaten into me uh, figuratively.
0: In the end, this loyalty was not repaid. On December 14th, 2021, five years after reports first emerged of his Russian ties, Luis Marinelli published a blog post declaring that Cal Exit was dead, and he was killing it. We asked Luis to read part of his statement for us.
4: It is vitally important for millions of rational, normal people living in California that the state as we know it never becomes an independent country. Independence would unbind California from The only thing that has thus far kept it from completely deteriorating into a third world communist state, that one thing is the United States Constitution. This is an aggressive opinion about California coming from a man who founded the California independence movement and spent the last seven years promoting California exceptionalism and making the case for its independence.
0: Lewis went on to say that it was time for him to make his own exit. He and his family were moving out of Russia and cutting all ties to California. As
4: such, so comes the end of the California independence movement, which is hereby ceasing all activity.
0: For Marcus, who had devoted much of the previous decade fighting for Cal Exit, the letter wasn't just a shock. It was an insult and a betrayal.
3: I think he's flipped. I think that's a symbol of a man who's had a psychotic break. Because I remember the man before. When we first started hanging out, he was a English teacher for a university in San Diego. What happened to that guy five years ago and how did he become this guy?
5: I think he felt very abused. It's like losing your brother. They shared all kinds of uh, conversations and life and things like that. And I think he was just grief stricken. And I had to point that out because enough. He can be your friend, but he... It's also your enemy.
0: In the months after Lewis posted his letter, he and Marcus became bitterly estranged, fighting over control of Yes California's social media handles and other issues. Lewis mocked the Cal Exit movement that he had co-founded. He even started a new initiative, the Campaign for National Partition, CNP, possibly just to troll the other CNP, the California National Party. I still wanted
4: to support the general mission of a national partition, a national divorce. And so I decided that Yes California would become the state-level chapter of a new national movement called the Campaign for National Partition, which also has the abbreviation CNP. It's, uh, well, I, I would like to not confirm or deny if that was intentional. By the middle of 2022, Marcus and Lewis were no longer on speaking terms. Well, Marcus doesn't answer my calls, and so Uh, That's on him because he is going to be upset uh, like a little baby. I think that Marcus needs some time to get over his frustration or whatever. I think that he may come around when he realizes that he's not able to make progress. He's going to miss the days when Louis Marinelli could get him some press
0: attention. The fight with Louis was embarrassing and a distraction. Marcus just wanted to move on.
3: The movement is not dead. It's still here. We've been investigated multiple times. One guy is doing his best to burn the whole thing down and burn all the crops, but the entire rest of the movement doesn't follow him. And so we're going through a really nasty divorce, but 160,000 people still believe.
0: But then disaster struck again.
2: On Tuesday, a federal grand jury sitting in Tampa, Florida returned an indictment charging Russian national Alexander Viktorovich Ianov with conspiring to use several U.S. persons as agents of Russia without prior notification to the Attorney General. On July 29,
0: 2022, the Department of Justice announced charges against Alexander Yanov it's partner in Russia and the president of the anti-globalization
2: movement. Ianov, engaged in a malign influence campaign to sow discord, spread propaganda, and interfere in elections within the United States, all of which was orchestrated by the Russian Federal Security Service, known as the FSB.
0: —By the way, the FSB is the Russian equivalent of, like,
2: the CIA. Ianoff directed and controlled the activities of three U.S. political groups, including one right here in St. Petersburg, Florida, another in Atlanta, Georgia, and a third in Sacramento, California.
0: We called, Marcus, after the charges were announced. What did this indictment
3: mean exactly? The indictment says it's against Ionoff uh, Russian citizen saying that he consciously received direction from the FSB, so he was pretending to be a nonprofit while secretly taking orders from the FSB with the intended purpose of destroying America.
0: The indictment made new allegations about CalExit's ties to Russia, that someone from CalExit, probably Lewis, had taken cash from Yanov and that this person was taking orders from him as well.
3: The indictment says that uh, unidentified co-conspirator 6, which they seem to suggest is Luis Marinelli, worked for political group 3 or something. They mean yes, California, to my knowledge.
0: The indictment was picked up in major newspapers like the New York Times. And just like that, Cal Exit was back in the headlines again. But for all the wrong reasons.
4: I am in North America somewhere.
0: When we reached Louis for his reaction, he had left Russia. But he didn't want to tell us where he was. We asked him, had he taken money from Alexander Yanov?
4: Yanov has given me some money from time to time when I asked for it, simply because the money was available to help support certain causes. And I just took the money. Because someone's offering you a couple hundred dollars, so who's going to not take a couple hundred dollars? —
0: Lewis says he wasn't working for Yanov and that the money came with no strings attached. But at the same time, he was scared. He didn't know what Yanov might be capable of. — There
4: were some jokes that he made from time to time along the lines of, hey, you're safe in Russia, thanks to me, or something. And so if you analyze that context, it might mean that the opposite is true. What happens if he's no longer in the picture? that you're not safe in Russia. I felt the need to keep him happy, or at least feel like I could be of use to him, because if I was not any use to him, perhaps he could cause trouble for me as an American in Russia. —
0: Lewis didn't know if Yanov was a Russian spy, and he didn't really want to find out. — I don't know who he is. I
4: never had confirmed information that he was an agent of the Russian intelligence services, for example. If he wanted to cause me problems, I think that he would be in a position to do that, simply because he would have contacts and he would know somebody, and he would be able to do that.
0: According to Lewis, there was no conspiracy between him and the Russian government, and certainly not between Russia and Cal Exit. He had just done what he thinks anyone in his shoes would do, take some free money and try not to piss off the shady, well-connected guy who had taken an interest in Lewis's political activism.
4: I was acting as a political activist, exercising my right to free speech, and it didn't require Alexander Yanov or Russians telling me to do something. I was doing it myself.
0: There is one side of the story that we haven't heard yet Alexander Yanov's. We interviewed Alexander Yanov several times while working on this podcast, most recently in the days after his indictment. Sometimes he spoke with us directly, and sometimes through an interpreter, who refers to Yanov as Sasha. We wanted to know, what did he think of the charges against him?
5: (laughs) Sasha's message is simple. He is very sorry and upset that uh, there are double standards in USA. And as a result, a criminal case was opened.
0: Yanov claims that it's not Russia interfering in U.S. affairs. It's the other way around. He says he was exposing U.S. propaganda operations in Russia, and the charges against him are retaliation. And yes, he did donate a small amount of money, maybe $500, to CalExit. But he says he gives money to lots of causes he supports. For example, Yanov says that he donated to Joe Biden's presidential campaign.
5: Sasha also financed the Democratic Party, hoping that Biden would be more adequate to president than Trump. $2,000 dollars, I am open the link and donation to Democracy Party and we really support the Biden the president election.
0: In case you're wondering, it's actually illegal for foreigners to donate to U.S. political campaigns. But in any event, Yanov says his donations were too small to make a difference. You need a lot more than $500 to make CalExit happen.
5: $500 is not enough to separate California and to do CalExit. And what we are discussing today is $500 in a comparison of thousands and millions of dollars from the US government to Russia's foreign agencies. And it is crazy.
0: Finally, we wanted to know what was his relationship with Louis Marinelli? Were they friends? Funny enough, Yanov says he kept his distance from Louis out of fears that he might be working for the FBI.
5: Sasha said that they only communicated exclusively at the Dialogue of Nations platform or when Louis wanted to hold some kind of events. But since Sasha understood that Louis has some connections with FBI agents, he didn't help him or provide some assistance.
0: It's all enough to make your head spin. Was Lewis an FBI asset? Is Alexander Yanov a Russian spy? We may never get the full truth. Yanov is a Russian citizen living in Russia, so it's unlikely that he'll ever be brought to trial in the US. But at the very least, the whole weird, messy story raises a lot of questions, not just about the idea of CalExit, but about the judgment and intention of its founders. It's hard to know what Lewis really believes in and what his motives are. After all, the same guy who said this.
4: I mean, I'm a progressive liberal, so I supported uh, Bernie Sanders as a candidate for president. Also said this. I'm a right-wing conservative national populist, anti-establishment, anti-globalist. I don't want to live in California, and I don't agree with most of what Californians
0: believe in. Was Lewis just trolling us the whole time? As for Marcus, you have to wonder about him too. Why would he stand by Lewis and by Cal Exit at such great personal cost? What's in it for him?
3: We get that question a lot. Is this so that you can become president? As we said, it's gonna be up to the California voters. And so a lot of people here Including myself, were said, hey, you know, once we get this in and the, the vote saying we're going to secede, that'll be huge. And all of us will be famous. And all of us who were in the movement from way back will be like gods. And so we could run for office and then we could formally be part of the decision making process going forward.
0: Whatever their motives, Marcus and Lewis have presided over a CalExit campaign marred by controversy and scandal. As a result, some believe their continued association with CalExit is holding the movement back. Here's Theo Slater from the California National Party.
4: I've never had as much trouble with Marcus as I have had with Lewis. I think that he means well, but he has been led astray. Everything to do with Lewis made Yes, California toxic. That was the heart of all of their tactical mistakes and everything that they did wrong and every way that they harmed California, that they harmed the California independence movement, and that they harmed themselves.
0: Alexander Yanov told us something else, something troubling, that he wasn't just linking up with secessionists like Marcus and Lewis. When we first interviewed him, before he was indicted, he also bragged about his relationships with U.S. business leaders.
5: You know, I'm speaking with the two big businessmen. I'm Peter Thiel, and I read one article about the California station to three states.
0: Did you catch that name? Yanov was claiming to have met with a man named Peter Thiel.
5: You know, I'm speaking with uh, the two big businessmen. I'm with Peter Thiel. Uh,
0: I'm We've the- talked about Thiel on the show before. He's the billionaire investor behind the Seasteading Institute. He's spoken positively about CalExit. Meet Peter Thiel the billionaire who's behind companies like PayPal and Palantir, the first outside investor in Facebook, and Silicon Valley's ultimate contrarian thinker. But that's not the whole story on Peter Thiel. He's also one of the largest political donors in the United States. This year, he spent close to $30 million in support of far-right candidates that he handpicked for the U.S. Senate. The PayPal co-founder was one of President Trump's most ardent supporters.
4: We know that Thiel has been a patron of the far right too, meeting with people who've been described as ideological architects of white nationalism.
0: Peter Thiel wields enormous influence over the future of the country, both through his political activities and through the role his business plays in our national defense. So if he has met with Alexander Yanov, a person accused of working with Russian intelligence to destabilize the US, it raises a big question, why? What did they discuss? And is there more to their connection than just one meeting? We haven't been able to confirm Yanov's claims about meeting Peter Thiel. It's not for a lack of trying. When we asked Thiel and his reps for comment, our questions were ignored. As for Yanov, after his FBI indictment, we asked him about Thiel again. This is what he said.
5: No, Потому что сейчас я в любом случае
4: не скажу, с кем я встречался. Окей,
5: okay, uh, so now uh, he cannot say who he met, because there is a criminal case now. Sasha just will not comment at all on his meetings with everyone from the United States to avoid any prosecution for these uh, people.
0: There's a reason we keep talking about Peter Thiel on this show. A reason that gets to the very heart of the CalExit story. Back in 2009, Thiel published an essay to highlight his support for the Seasteading Institute. It was called The Education of a Libertarian. The essay contained a number of startling and condemnable ideas. For example, Thiel hoped to become immortal, writing, quote, I stand against the ideology of the inevitability of death for every individual, unquote. He lamented the fact that women who don't tend to support libertarian ideas were provided the right to vote. And finally, he wrote this, quote, I no longer believe that freedom and democracy are compatible, unquote. You might be thinking, how could that be? Aren't freedom and democracy kind of the same thing we've been exploring the tension between freedom and democracy in every episode of this podcast to help us understand the distinction we need to go back to november 1969 in the abandoned federal prison on alcatraz island on november 20th 1969 a group of native activists landed on alcatraz their goal was to reclaim land that had been stolen by the federal government. Just 89 people occupied the island at first, but as word spread, more and more people arrived. They built their own school, healthcare center, even a radio station.
3: From Radio Free Alcatraz, in welcoming you to Indian land Alcatraz on behalf of the Indians of all tribes. In
0: response, the Coast Guard enacted a blockade trying to stop the supply of food and water. But it didn't matter.
2: Right now, it doesn't make a difference, really,
5: what Washington does. There's only one way now that Washington can ever stop this, and that's to come out here with armed troops and take us forcibly off of here.
0: Here's Geneva Seaboy again. She was one of the original occupiers of Alcatraz Island.
1: When I think about it, maybe there could have been jail, could have been shot. But at the time, I didn't even think about those.
0: I was just full of excitement. Geneva was excited because there, on Alcatraz Island, she was feeling something she had never felt before. We didn't worry about being
1: stopped for a violation of anything. I wasn't worried about where it's going to eat. I wasn't worried about where it's going to sleep. and everybody was so happy and working together and
0: you know it was really nice. So it was freedom. For Geneva, freedom was about community, not separation. It was not about doing whatever she wanted. It was about living without persecution. Here's Alex Kaznabish, author of Zapatistas, Rebellion from the Grassroots to the Global. We
6: heard from him last episode. So when the Zapatistas, for example, talk about autonomy, they are not talking about autonomy in this kind of don't tread on me, my personal space, my will, my property. They are actually talking about autonomy in its most sophisticated formation, which is a relational form, because I can't have autonomy. I can't rule myself fairly, justly, in a dignified way unless I acknowledge your right to do so too. So nobody's autonomy gets to trump anybody else's. We begin with a recognition of mutual existence and dignity and justice.
0: In the United States, however,
6: freedom has historically
0: meant something pretty different.
6: The word freedom has somehow come to mean my right, basically, to do whatever I want free of consequence, so long as I have the power to enact that. That's a very familiar form of power, and it's so familiar, I think we become accustomed to associating it with the only way we can understand power, which is a huge mistake. One of the things the Zapatistas did was to remind us that our power actually comes from the collective ability to live with dignity, to work together, to struggle alongside one another. Power is only exercised relationally. Freedom can't be absolute.
0: Through this lens, the whole notion of Cal Exit isn't really about freedom then, is it? It's kind of just another fight over power. It's a movement trying to solve our problems by avoiding them. It's putting up borders between us and our perceived political opponents, so we no longer have to listen to what they have to say. All of this points to one conclusion. Changing our borders isn't gonna solve America's divisions. What we need is something far more fundamental. Greetings, everybody. My name is Xiu Donatio Martinez. Could we get a round of applause for the graduating class of 2022 real quick? This past June, I was invited to speak at the graduation ceremony of a school in East Los Angeles called Anahuacalmecac International University. The school teaches the usual subjects like math and science, but embedded into the curriculum is another concept. Here's how it appears on their mission statement, written in my language, Nahuac. In English, it translates to, quote, A student will learn in every deliberation to consider the impact of one's decisions on the seven generations to come and all natural relations, end quote. One of the world's oldest living democracies is the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. It's a group of tribal nations whose lands stretch from Ohio to New York. The Confederacy originated a concept known as the seventh generation principle, a principle that the Anahuacalmecac school continues today. It states that the decisions we make today should result in a prosperous world seven generations into the future. It requires us to be accountable in our relationships with the land and with each other. And I think if you look back through history, through any great social movements, you can see the change has always come from community. One thing that we can all really resonate with, especially coming from Anahuacalmeca is getting rid of this idea of being self-made. I think each and every one of us are here today because we are community made. I know for a fact that I am who I am. I've reached the places I've been able to reach. I've been able to share the voice that I have because of my ancestors, because of these teachings that ground me to a connection that is deeper than just myself. I don't know what the future holds, if Cal Exit will ever happen, if we'll have a national divorce or a civil war. What I do believe is that replacing unjust systems is gonna require us to build community, not split apart. From the George Floyd protests to the Land back movement, to the mutual aid that kept communities afloat through the pandemic. Everything that's pushed us forward these last few years has come from people being brave enough to imagine a more just world and humble enough to build it together. The United States was founded as a settler republic, granting freedom to white men at the expense of democracy for all. It's the country that people like Peter Thiel and Donald Trump are working hard to preserve. We've seen where that vision of America takes us. Division, inequality, violence, and environmental catastrophe. Maybe it's time that we follow the examples of Geneva Seaboy, of the Zapatistas, of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and let a new vision for our future take flight. The Last Resort is an Interval Presents original production from Awfully Nice. From Interval Presents, the executive producers are Alan Coy and Jake Kleinberg. Executive producers from Awfully Nice are Jesse Burton and Katie Hodges. Written and produced by Jesse Burton and Dana Balut. Associate producer is Suzanne Gaber. Project management by Kadi Kamakate. Editing, sound design, and mix by Nick Cipriano and Kiana McClellan of Bang Audio Post. Original music by my boy Matawayuhi and me, Shutezcott. Theme song by me, Shutezcott, and Sweet Sound. Fact checking by Lauren Vespoli. Script consultation by William Bauer. Operations lead is Sarah Yu. Business development lead is Sheffi Elenswig. And marketing lead is Samara Still. Special thanks to James Napoli. I'm your host, Shutescott. For a full list of the sources used in this episode, please check the show notes. Make sure to follow, rate, and review The Last Resort on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.